Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 38 today as for this afternoon's short service. We will do a, a brief meditation on Psalm 38. Now, this psalm is a prayer and a lament. Now, that means it's, of course, talking about things that are uh, negative, that uh, David is acknowledging uh, bad things. Uh, from our perspective, that have, that have happened to him. The caption indicates it was written by King David, a psalm of David for the memorial offering, it says. Literally, the Hebrew says, to cause to remember. Uh, perhaps uh, David, as some think, is calling upon God to remember him in his woes. And it's not as if God forgets things and we have to remind him of something. But when we talk about God remembering something, it's it's about his uh, keeping his covenant. Uh, when we think that the Lord remembered Israel, as the scripture says, uh, and then delivered them from Egypt. And so it might be that David is calling upon God to remember him now and deliver him from trouble. Uh, but the psalm itself is also a remembrance. It recalls David's afflictions uh, when he needed to repent of his sins. And the lesson of this psalm is that the Lord chastises his children for their correction. But he does not forsake them. So that, in one sense, we can see that the same ills, the same disasters, the same difficulties that are common to all of mankind that can happen to each one of us in this fallen world, uh, for those who are reprobate, those who are outside of covenant with the Lord, uh, it is a foretaste of their coming eternal punishment. But for those who are in the Lord, it is simply a correction. And it, There are many reasons why the Lord allows us and causes us to be afflicted. One of them is to call to mind perhaps our sins. But whatever he uses our afflictions for, he never forsakes us. It can be broken, this psalm that is, can be broken down into four basic sections. Verses 1 and 2 are David's prayer and the introduction of the psalm. Uh, verses 3 through 10 describe his physical and emotional state due to the, his sins. And verses 11 through 20 describe afflictions from others and David's response to them. And verses 21 and 22 are David's concluding prayer for aid to the Lord. So we'll start first with verses 1 and 2, which are David's prayer and introduction. O Lord, this is how it is in the English Standard Version, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your, error, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. So David here is pleading for mercy from the Lord. He's asking that these afflictions be lifted, uh, saying, rebuke me not, in your anger. He's recognizing indeed that he's being rebuked, that he's being corrected, uh, but he's asking that the Lord would not do this in his wrath as if he were an unforgiven sinner, but simply as a father would correct his children. He recognizes that the trouble that he's enduring, though, is a consequence of his own sins. The Lord is correcting him. Like a warrior, he shoots his arrows at David. And so he says, your arrows have sunk into me. So he's feeling the pain of what the Lord is doing to him for his correction. His hand is heavy upon David. David's feeling that heavy hand. Your hand has come down on me. It's like the hand of a righteous father disciplining his child. Though 
he knew no sin, Christ received that same kind of correction and chastisement on our behalf. In fact, he received the unmitigated wrath from his Father that we might receive life. But God will still correct us. Though he counts us in his courtroom, as it were, righteous in Christ, he nevertheless knows the reality of the fact that he's shaping us over time, that we are not as righteous as we ought to be. We fall far short, but the Lord will correct us as part of our sanctification. Sometimes we can see that disciplining hand of God in our physical and emotional troubles, just as David does here. And so secondly, in verses 3 through 10, David describes his own physical and emotional state and recognizes they are due to his sins. As we know that our emotional state can affect our physical health, and vice versa, David expresses these things next to each other in this section. Uh, He finds particularly an expression of the physical problems, or we can find them, in verses 3 through 7. And and this could be describing a physical illness. It could also be describing poetically more of the emotional state and how it is expressed through the feeling in his body. We know that that's, uh, that different emotional reactions give us different feelings in our bodies. And here he's experiencing this. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. So notice it comes from God. It's not just uh, because I caught some disease. or so, It's... it's I'm recognizing this is God. Because of your indignation, there is no soundness in my flesh. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. So it sounds like David is describing feeling physically ill, not necessarily because he's caught a disease or has an injury, but probably because of his sense of God's judgment upon him. He says his bones have no health, his inner self has no health, his wounds stink and fester. Again, this is poetry, so he may just be speaking poetically. We might not find and we won't find in in the historical books of the Bible any description of David having stinking, festering sores or anything like that. In fact, uh, as uh, customs of the ancient world went, that might have been considered something that would disqualify him from being king because kings were supposed to be unblemished. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, he's describing it this way. This is how he feels things are poetically. He is bowed down. He lies prostrate. And here's another reason we know that this isn't uh, necessarily describing exactly a medical condition. He says he's... Uh, I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate, so that means he's laying flat on the ground. But then he says, my sides are filled with burning, and there's no sound, or excuse me, all the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and so on. And so, uh, if you're stricken down so that you can't get up, you can't also go about. <laughs> so these are, these are poetic descriptions of how he feels. But we do see that he probably feels something of a malaise, as we would describe it today. He feels weak. He feels like he's unmotivated to get up and move. And he describes his sides burning. Uh, There's no soundness in his body. And this is not, again, simply because of an ordinary physical ailment, but he's recognizing that this comes from God. It's because of his sins, his iniquities. 
his foolish disregard of the Lord's righteousness. And he confesses that here. Uh, but if this was a physical ailment that came because of God's hand upon David, we need to recognize not every physical ailment is a chastisement from God. If you are ill, it doesn't mean that you that there's a one-to-one relationship. You sinned, and therefore God made you sick. Right? Uh, yes, because of the condition of sin, we can get sick. But uh, there are many reasons why God allows these things to come upon us. Uh, but one is that one possibility is that God chastises His people. He uses our afflictions for many reasons. One of them might be that we have sins that we need to be repenting of. So, of course, when you come under affliction, examine yourself and see, is there something that the Lord is calling my attention to? Now, if you see someone else afflicted, don't let that be your first, uh, the first place your mind goes to. Uh, rather, uh, recognize that the Lord could be testing them in other ways, just teaching them to depend upon Him. Uh, there are very many reasons why the, the Lord might bring afflictions upon us, simply to show His strength and our weakness. Uh, but, when I feel an affliction, that should be one of the first things I think of about myself. So I'm not going to think, if you're afflicted, oh, what did she do? What did he do? <laughs> to bring this wrath of God upon him. But uh, when I'm afflicted, that should be one of the first things I, I think about and see if there is anything. And of course, I will, whether it's related directly or not, I will find sins that I probably haven't been aware of in myself if I do more self-reflection. But any affliction should drive us to that kind of self-reflection, and they should drive us to the Lord and not away from Him. David describes his emotional state in verses 8, 9, and 10. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. If you never felt the kind of physical affliction that David uh, is poetically describing there, you have most likely had a time in your life where you have felt emotionally crushed, and you have felt this kind of uh, chastisement from the Lord, or some affliction for whatever reason from the Lord, feeling feeble, groaning because of the tumult, not of your physical body, but of your heart. Longing for the Lord's help sighing before Him, feeling like your heart is throbbing, your strength is failing you, you have no light in your eyes. That, that I think in this context does not mean that He's having trouble seeing. Your eyes going dim is an Old Testament euphemism for losing your eyesight. But I think here He's, he's saying basically all cheerfulness has gone from Him. So he's feeling disturbed in heart. He's melancholy. He's joyless in this sense. And he's recognizing this as God's hand upon him. The third section is verses 11 through 20, which describe afflictions from others. So it's not just that he's under God's chastisement and he feels it only in his body and in his emotional state, but he's recognizing that uh, affecting that emotional state, of course, are these other afflictions coming from other people. Here the Lord was even uh, was using even the sins of others to correct David, just as we uh, noted and will note uh, even more clearly as we get a little farther along in our study of Genesis, we'll see that Joseph will tell his brothers what you meant for evil, God meant for good. 
And so these people are David's enemies. They're not meaning this. They're, they're not setting out to help out God and say, David needs some affliction and God has sent us to afflict him. No, uh, they're afflicting David for their own sinful reasons, but God is using that for his good purposes. And we might think here of Christ who endured such mistreatment and has a similar and perfect righteous response. As for our sakes, he endured the mistreatment of the wicked. Uh, verses, uh, verse 11 describes abandonment by friends. Just as Christ's disciples were scared and scattered and did not remain by him in his trial, David experienced something like that in his life. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. In verse 12, he describes the plots of the wicked against him. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. Think of how the Gospels describe the the Sanhedrin and the priests uh, conspiring to bring Jesus down and to bring him to trial. Uh, this, This is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But David is careful not to return evil for evil, just as Jesus will not return evil for evil. For one thing, he recognizes the justice of his affliction. In David's case, he recognizes, I am a sinner. In Jesus' case, he recognizes, I will have the sins of my people laid upon me. His enemies are wrong to do this, but he knows God is in control. So as Christ will do perfectly, David chooses not to defend himself here. Verses 13 and 14, But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. So he's not answering back those who are uh, charging evil against him, who are uh, speaking lies about him. He says nothing in his defense. Rather than give answer, he waits upon the Lord to vindicate him, which is exactly what Christ will do. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. We see this in the world regularly. That God's people, the more like Christ you are, uh, the more the watching world will wait for you to slip up. And they will watch carefully. They did that to King David. They did it to Jesus, though they could never find him slipping up, actually. They tried and tried and tried. Only let them not rejoice over me, David asks, who boast against me when my foot slips. So he's recognizing that while God allows this because of his sins, which he now confesses, his enemies are pouncing on him, not because they want him to be more righteous, but because they hate his righteousness. And they can't wait to see him fail at it. And he says, starting in verse 17, For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. This is where the afflictions that come upon us should drive us. Being more sorry for our sins. Confessing our iniquity before God. Verse 19, But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. So that's the reason. 
that the wicked are seeking to accuse David. It's the reason they were seeking to accuse Christ. It's the reason they will seek to accuse Christ's people now. Not because they love righteousness, but because they hate it. And they can't wait to see God's righteous people fail. They accuse me because I follow after good, David says. Well, the final section is David's conclusion to the prayer, found in verses 21 and 22, in which he simply calls upon God, saying, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. If the Lord does not make haste to help us, if we do not wait upon him, if he does forsake us, then we cannot possibly be restored to righteousness when we slip. But God is gracious, and he does not forsake his people. He is not far from you at any time. He makes haste to help you, and he is the Lord of your salvation. So let's go ahead and sing this psalm. As we turn in our psalters to selection D, 38D, why don't we stand together and we will conclude by singing this psalm, 38D.